The Shatanam Center in Mumbai is run by the Community Outreach Program, with whom I volunteered with in 1996 working with street children in and around Grant Road Station. Today I'm speaking to Karen and Sharda, who have run the Shatanam Home for Girls for the past 22 years. I wanted them to share their story about how they've dedicated their lives to empowering young women. Hello. Hi. Hi, everyone. Hi, Sharda. Is that Jonas helping you? <laughs> yeah, he's helping. Hi, Jonas. Jonas is saying hi. You can say yeah, hi. Don't worry. Also. Jonas, they will be saying hi. Hey, they will be Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? You're good. Good. You're your mom's tech support today. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I like the paintings in the background or photos in the background. Which room are you in, Sharda? Uh, I'm in computer room. <laughs> computer room. Okay. Wow. And and how are you gonna? I mean, where are the kids? Aren't they gonna be making noises? I kicked everybody out today. <laughs> I gave them all other devices. I said, okay, today. Like most of the girls said, uh, exams today. Like uh, this, they finished their exam by ten o'clock. Like a uh, 10 minutes before, so it's good. <clears throat> it's Thursday, this convent school has a holiday, so it's good. <laughs> well, tell them sorry that they have to be quiet, and it's okay, they can do whatever they want. <laughs> Hi, Karen. Hi, Karen. Hi, Devil. Hey, how are you? Hi, Sharda. Hi, how are you? Good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Great. Okay, I think we're going to start now. Welcome, Sharda and Karen, to No Cost Extension. This is really, really exciting for me to have the two of you on this conversation. I have been very privileged and honored to know the two of you for many, many years now. And while the podcast itself is called No Cost Extension with Devil Sangvi, it actually has nothing to do with me, Devil Sangvi. It has to do with the people that have inspired me the people that do amazing work and the people that I think uh, can convince others uh, to follow in their footsteps. And, and I think the two of you are by far top on that list. And, and again, the two of you know this, we have had multiple conversations over the years. And many times those conversations are to fight fires. Many times they are to celebrate. Most of the world do not hear or participate in those conversations. And so I think for me, the point of, you know, even creating this was that in 21 years, I've been inspired, I've learned, I've had really honest and open conversations with the two of you and so many others. And, and I think it's, it's about time that your voices are also heard. And so thank you again for, for being part of this. Uh, Karen, I know you're dialing in from the US. Sharda, you're dialing here from Mumbai. So with that, I guess I'm going to start with you, Sharda. Sharda Didi, you've been such a pillar, uh, and, and pillar is not a strong enough word uh, because you're much more than that, but the Shadonam Center would not have happened without you, point blank. If you can maybe talk a little bit about what is the Shadonam Center and why did it start, and, and what were you thinking, I guess, when you first heard about it? Thank you, Deval. And as you said, I'm really a little nervous because it's, it's on my first podcast. And it's not me, just uh, what I'm doing today. It's uh, we as a team. And uh, there are so many people involved in this journey. So I don't want to take a credit what I'm doing for, because without all you, and there are so many other people, uh, without your all contribution, I would have not done this. It's a 20 years journey. <laughs> wow. Sharanam Center is a home. It's like a home for uh, girls. And I actually, I never thought I will be running shelter home or I never had in my dream. I never thought about starting a shelter home or running a shelter home. Uh, 20 years back, or my childhood, I have seen that uh, in India, uh, the gender discriminations and uh, all those things. I used to feel so uh, bad for uh, girls and uh, because they were not uh, encouraged to go to schools and all those things. So somewhere I always used to think that uh, to help the girls, maybe I'll become a teacher and uh, help girls to 
uh, educate them about their rights and all those things. But uh, as I was growing and I came to Mumbai, Karnataka was where I was. I never seen like a street, people say uh, living on streets or staying or begging. I never seen those things. But when I came to Mumbai and uh, slowly I saw the different world. So then I felt that, oh, what I have is like, a, I have more than what I need in my life. But after teacher training, I instead joining a school because I always wanted to become a teacher, but uh, instead joining a school, but I joined a core community outreach program. Uh, I learned so many things from there. And I saw very closely how women are like uh, under pressed. They don't have any rights. They don't have any decision making choice or uh, anything like uh, because of that, like uh, they have uh, so many potential, like uh, they can do much better, but they never had uh, opportunities. So I was thinking like a uh, uh, women's are already there in that stage, but if you want to bring change, actually you have to work with a young age. So I was thinking, just thinking to help them how to do it and what to do it. And even when I used to travel in a Mumbai local train, I used to like the girls used to beg. You no, know, so I that used to touch my heart. Like I used to be very, very, I used to feel very sad for them. And I was always in that like I wanted to do something, but I didn't know what to do. Then, of course, like in 1990, I think in 99, I think they will be, you met me at uh, first time in Shalom Center. So that is a very short, you know, like a brief conversation we had, not much. I guess for me, and, and Charlotte, thank you for bringing up community outreach program where you started working. And, and for me, the community outreach program was my first exposure to the NGO sector. In 1996, I graduated a semester early from college. I came to India and I wanted to volunteer. And so back then, well, we had something called the Yellow Pages, which doesn't exist anymore. And I called multiple NGOs. Uh, the group that you're already working with is the group that called me back. Uh, the only one. I called about 10 NGOs and no one else cared and they shouldn't have. I, I completely agree with them. They uh, provided me an opportunity to volunteer with children who live in and around the streets uh, next to a, a, a train station, Grant Road Station. That really, I, I guess, motivated me because similar to what you were just saying, Sharda, just seeing children for no fault of their own, suffering was something I couldn't deal with. And, and I was so excited to, to actually do something, and when I say do something, volunteer, and that's, I guess, how I started my conversations with a community outreach program. After one or two meetings with, uh, I guess at the time the person was heading it, was it Molly? Yeah, Molly George. Yeah. Molly George. I think that's when we first met. If you can talk a little bit about that meeting, how old were you then when, when we met? That time, I was 22 years old. When we came to this idea, starting shelter home, we came to know, yeah, we decided. So that time I was just 22 year old. And uh, we didn't have any plan getting married, like uh, Nirmal and me, we were thinking, but not like that soon because I was just 22. But you know, in India, as a couple, we, it's not, uh, yeah, you can't stay like, uh, so we have to be like a legally couples, like married. So when Nirmal said like, uh, what do you think? I didn't take a minute to even think. I immediately I said, okay, we will do that. We will start it. <laughs> so quickly we planned, like we never, we didn't had any plans. In March, we got engaged in the after two, three months because we needed uh, time to prepare our marriage uh, uh, preparation. So we said, okay, it's the wait list. We need two months for preparation. So we said, okay. And in May, 2000, we got married. June, we moved quickly. Like uh, we didn't go for even honeymoon. <laughs> like uh, all our friends and our both families were they were not super happy about our decisions. And our friends, especially, nobody was like a supportive or encouraging or saying, oh, that's a great idea. Nobody was like, a, everybody like a, me, everybody making me scared. Sharda, you were such a young girl, like all ma making me like a scared or like a discouraging, not encouraging. So I was like, a, I don't know, but uh, I want to like, a, let, me, let me start. So, yeah. That is, this is the first time I'm hearing about the love story, by the way. Uh, I don't know, Karen, have you heard of the love story before? Yes, and I've also heard about how her family just wasn't, her family and friends weren't really that supportive. And 
at how strong Sharda was to kind of say, you know what, this is important and we're going to do it. And we're going to work through the challenges with our friends and family. And, and that's just really sort of an amazing part to this whole story. It is really interesting to hear about the family pushback, number one. Number two, I guess, how young you were. At the age of 22, to be able to take on this feat is absolutely phenomenal. And I, and I say that just because many people you know, say, I will wait till I have so much money saved up, or I will wait till I have certain experiences, or I will wait till I'm a certain age even. If you can talk a little bit about those early days of this shelter, what were some of those experiences? What were some of the learnings? I guess in your words, why was this shelter going to be different than other shelters? When we started shelter, that time it was so difficult because it's not just for me. 80% children were from streets because they have been outside on the street and the freedom, like they loved open hair and everything. And they never had a, uh, rules or like a studying or nothing. So it was very uh, challenging for me to talking to kids or like working with them because they were like a why do you want to do for us? Like, why do you want to ask to send school? Like, I don't want to study like a big challenge and because they didn't have a friendship, they didn't have a, uh, any motivation and all those things. So even they never like a good food, which we used to provide because they never had that nice food and taste. No? So it was a big challenge for me to step out of Sharnam Center for even one hour that used to be for me it's like a nightmare. Oh, if I step out, I go for some or somewhere like a, uh, that. And the most of the kids used to have a health issues like a tuberculosis because they came from street and scabies, like a skin diseases a lot. And I used to take them to government hospitals like a sign hospital. I never knew what time I'll come back because the government hospitals used to be very crowded. And I, it's used to nightmare until I go back. Oh, what will be their drama? Have? must be happening among the kids and even from our building the society because the kids were not in discipline because they were from streets so they were not in a no they didn't know how to talk politely and all like a, the society people used to be like it's not a place to run a shelter room like they are so dirty why you are keeping them like a blah blah the society people sometimes they like used to Tell me, like, uh, we will go to police station, we will complain against you. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, Sharda, but just so I'm clear. So first, you're, I mean, your dad is supportive. Your mom and all of your friends are saying, don't do this. Then the children you're working with also have issues with whether they're going to school or eating the food or having to follow rules. The building you are housed in, is providing you a lot of issues, even threatening to go to the police. The, the government systems that you're trying to access uh, from a health perspective or school perspective, they also are saying, why are you doing this? Why didn't you quit? Um, because if I quit, then I never, like, I could have not helped girls. It's not about me, what I was doing. Like, the shelter room, it's not, I didn't start for myself or my glamorous life, I started for children, I started for girls. If I was thinking of, I quit the job, if I close the shelter room, what will happen with those lives? Where again, they will go back to street. Again, they will be in that same environment. So I was said, okay, fine. Like a, there is without pain, there is no gain without pain. So I will take a pain. I will take all these things, but I'll try my best to help girls at least get education. I mean, it's amazing, first of all. Again, looking back, I re remember the hardships firsthand, right? The frustration and disappointment of not being able to provide something that these children wanted. And that was also frustrating, not at, at the children, like you said, because it was not their fault, but more to ourselves and saying, how come we're not good enough to provide something for children who are living on the streets, who may be trafficked, who have clearly very dangerous circumstances if they're not in this space. And we had children running away as well. When did things kind of start to settle down in those initial time period? And what were some of the, I guess, shifts or changes that occurred that you think may have helped that to happen? 
it took at least three, four years to settle down everything. When I started a shelter room that time, as I said, I quickly, I said, yes, I didn't thought about what to do, but experience always teaches. I slowly learned that, uh, especially when four, five years old girl, uh, she quietly sub came to my room and uh, she said, Didi, instead calling you Didi, can I call you mom? And that made me change. Uh, because she was orphan and she needed mother love. So she came to me quietly, Didi, can I call you mom? I want to call you mom, but I feel shy calling in front of other girls. So in everybody, in front of everybody, I'll call you Didi, but in my heart, you are my mom. I, then that day I realized they don't need education or other things. They need a love. That's mother love. From that day, I started uh, being and working, behaving, everything as a mom to them. From that day, like a slowly building relationship, love, sharing love and everything I started. So then so even kids started believing in me and slowly they thought it's a, like a home. So that's why Sharnam is different. Like you asked me why Sharnam is different than you know, what? So Sharnam is not a, like a shelter home. It's not like an institution. It's a home for kids. Children stay here like me and my husband with my two kids. We are give, trying to give them all the love, like a parental love and siblings love. So that is the most important. In the world, people are hungry for love. Like as I said, my mom was upset. I never used to go for any festivals, family functions. My mom used to say like all the my children are here, you know, only you are not there. I'm missing you. Can you come please for one hour? I used to say, mom, these children also need mom. We have to celebrate festival here, like a Diwali if I come there, but with whom they will celebrate Diwali. We try our best to give all the necessary, like a basic, uh, I don't know, the good right words, because as a family, we think for our children. And as a family, we do for our children. We try to all those things quality education, quality food, quality health, all those basic needs. Before we used to take them for a municipal government hospitals, but now we started taking them the good private hospitals. From BMC school to we started them to putting in up convent schools. No, thank you, Sharda. First of all, again, like I said, this is not about uh, no cost extension with Devil Sangri. This is about the individuals that have influenced me and you're clearly one of those individuals. I, I think there's no question about, even when you were just talking, it's not about basic necessities. It is about the best necessities as we want to give to our children. At least for me, what the Sharanam Center has exemplified is that realization to begin with, um, as you just said, about love. And you can't measure love on a results framework. You can't measure love on a metric, but you can see love. And, and you and clearly everything that the Sharanam Center stands for is about love. And I think the second is really about doing what we can as we would do for our own children. That is not just a statement clearly, and we can hear it in your voice, but it is a way of life for you. And I think many times when we look at the development sector, those that want to give back at times look at what's the most basic thing we can do to give back. What is the bare minimum that we can provide? And, and really it's about survival, I guess, versus thriving communities. And I think what you and the Shadonam Center have exemplified is really about Survival is the bare minimum, and that's not what we stand for. It is about thriving in society. It is about giving the same opportunities that we have been given, if not better. When you were saying sort of three or four years later, things started to settle down, that's probably around 2002, 2003 timeframe, I guess. Yeah. Correct? Yes. And, and I think I'm going to now go to you, Karen, because I think that's perhaps when you first heard about this center, 
the Shonanam shelter. But but even before that, if you can talk a little bit about your background and what brought you to India to begin with, and then what took you to to Sharda in the shelter, that would be fantastic. Sure. Um, so in February of 2002, I was living in New York. I was working for a Fortune 150 company that was just in the beginning phases of outsourcing. So the organization I worked for was just starting to think about how to outsource corporate processes to India. And I was part of that team. In February 2002, my colleague Jen and I traveled to India, and it was, our, it was the first trip for both of us. We were in India for one week, and in that one week, we were in Mumbai, we were in Delhi, we saw the Taj Mahal, we went to Bangalore, and we came back to Mumbai within eight days. We were pretty overwhelmed at the end of that trip, and as our meetings ended, and we were in Andheri, and our business partners in Andheri, very casually, and as I look back on it now, very inappropriately, said to us, hey, you know, do you guys want to visit an orphanage? And Jen and I kind of shrugged and we were like, okay, do we have time? You know, we, our flight was that evening. You know, looking back on it, it was highly inappropriate. It's not really the kind of thing that a company should ask their client. It's not really the kind of thing that a home for girls should be entertaining casual visitors. It was, it was really inappropriate. And before we knew it, um, the guy from the company was on the phone calling somebody else who was a partner of Sharanam's and was calling and asking if we could come. And the woman on the other end said, no way. Like, you do, this is not where you bring your clients. The guy at the company pleaded and pleaded. He said, come on, they're really nice. They're these two nice professional American women. Can't they come? Finally, she agreed. And before we knew it, we were at the Sharanam Center. At that point, Sharnam had probably been open, Sharda, I think, for about a year and a half. Yeah. Maybe al- almost two years, I think. Almost two years. Yeah. And so Jen and I went and we did, you know, we brought some ice cream and we had cameras and we took a lot of photos, you know, and looking back on it, Jen and I asked exactly zero questions. Like we didn't ask one question. We didn't know what it was called. We had no idea who Sharda and Nirmal were. We had no idea why the kids were there. We thought it was an orphanage, which it wasn't. I mean, we literally didn't ask one question, whether it was because we were ignorant or we were, I mean, we weren't young, so I can't use that as the excuse. And Sharda and Nirmal at the time, they were there, but Sharda and Nirmal have always done an incredible job of when visitors are there, it's about the kids. So when we showed up, Sharda and Nirmal didn't do anything to sanitize it, to explain it, to put themselves front and center. And as I look back on it, that's, a, that's been sort of a hallmark approach that I think Sharda and Nirmal have always taken, which is that it's not about them. And so at the end of that day, which was really quite amazing, and we got great photos and we had a great time, but we had a visit that was very much about us. And then we went to the airport and we flew back to the US. And I think for us, what would have been sort of a one-time great day turned into something else when four months later, Jen was back in India. And so she called our contact, somebody from Magic Bus, and said, hey, can I come again? And so she went again. And then a year later, I was there with Jen, and we called again. And so for the next two or three years, whenever Jen and I were in India, we would come and visit. And that's how our relationship really started. And when you say that Sharanam Center is not an orphanage, what is Sharanam Center? So Sharanam Center, it's a shelter home for girls. So it's a permanent residence for girls whose families are unable or unwilling to care for them. In the early days, as Sharda mentioned, there were a number of girls who were orphans. And there are several girls in the home who were you know, abandoned and whose origin is completely unknown. But the majority of the girls at Sharnam have somebody in their life, somebody who cared enough to seek this help. There's a couple of rare cases where it's been an intact family with a mother and a father. There are a couple of cases where there's a single father. There's a couple of cases where there's a grandmother or an aunt. And then the majority of cases, it's a single mother. And so they approached the community outreach program or they approached another organization and made their way to, to the Sharanam Center. When, like you were saying, girls started coming to the shelter and after some time, clearly there were 
a whole host, I guess, of organizations like Chai Line that came to know about the organization and other nonprofits that would, I guess, refer children to uh, the Sharanam uh, Center. Yeah, so many kids, like a, you know, like a child reach through Magic Bus or through Vasale Foundation, like all these organizations they knew and they were working with the children, street children and all. And I know when I volunteered with the Community Outreach Program in 1996, there was and still is a, a shelter for boys next to a railroad station. Can you tell maybe the listeners on why there was a shelter for boys and why there wasn't a shelter for girls at that time? Were girls just not living on the streets? Were girls uh, not in the same position as boys? I mean, why, why I guess, was, was one shelter, you know, determined and, and not the other? The first thing is, like, uh, in India, like, uh, girl, boys can do anything. It's not wrong. They can go late night. They come back. If they do something wrong or anything they do, it's fine. And also, like, uh, same, like, uh, responsibilities. Like, uh, girls always need more... Uh, the other things than boys like a boys can roam here and there they come back they can do anything whatever like a nobody cares there is no rules no regulations for boys there's so many other things like a when girl like a when she comes to so like a age of 12 then other issues starts with the girls there are other so things that people nobody wants to take the responsibility or nobody want to be responsible or you know all those uh, other issues even like a society and the institutions, nobody wanted to take that chance. If something goes wrong, who will be responsible and who will take that, uh, face the challenge? Again, 20 years later since you started, unfortunately, the perspectives people have on adolescent girls still remain in terms of it's complicated. Will they get pregnant? How do we deal with them? Yet, to your point, the easy way out is let's just not deal with them. And Karen, I'm going to come back to you. I mean, I guess, like you were saying, you you sort of started coming every time you visited over a couple of years, and but you were still working with the, the, the this group in the U.S.? Yeah, so I was still working for a corporation in the U.S. And one of the things that happened was that every time Jen or I would uh, come back from a trip to India, our colleagues and our friends had so many questions. Remember, this was in the early 2000s. So this is when India was really on everybody's mind. It was outsourcing was a hot topic. This is pre-Facebook. This is pre-YouTube. This is 2002, three and four. And we started talking about our visits to Sharanam and people started asking a lot of questions and wanting to get involved. And very quickly, Jen and I had a lot of people just approaching us with funds. The admin assistant of our business unit president came up to me once. This is a woman I barely knew. I just, I scheduled meetings with the president with her. And she came up to me one day and said, when's your next trip to India? I have a hundred beanie babies. Can you take them with you and give them? I heard, you know, some girls in India, maybe they could use them. It was everything from people giving us their used stuffed animals to another friend coming up to us and saying, you know, we heard about those kids and what would it take for you to go out? Is there an amusement park in Mumbai? And could you go to the amusement park and have a whole day where the answer to every question is yes? And we said, I don't know, 500 bucks, 600 bucks. And he was like, done, you know, here you go. It was, a, it was very, very interesting that we had sort of unexpected swell of unsolicited help and interest. That was an interesting motivator for us. And we felt really compelled to, to match the interest from the people around us with what we felt was a really interesting organization in Mumbai. And that's when we started to finally ask questions. I think in 2004, we were there and we finally asked a question like, huh, where do they go to school? And we finally asked a question like, huh, is there anything you need? And, and Sharda and Nirmal said, you know, we could really use some help to redo the bathroom. I think the amount was around $2,000. Jen and I went back to the US and I think we made three phone calls and then we sent across the, you know, the one lakh or at the time, I think it was about $2,000. And the next time we came, we said, 
all right, well, what else? And Sharda and Nirmal talked to us about school and they explained to us how the girls were going to, you know, the local government school, but that they'd identified a Hindi medium private school that would be a step above. And again, it was, I think it was around 2000 US dollars and maybe a little bit less than that to send all of the girls, eight standard and above to the private school, you know, and within a week or two, we sent over um, the funds to do that. And that sort of helped Jen and I to think about ways that we could become more involved. The legal counsel at our corporation, he helped us set up a 501c3 in the U.S. um, so that we could think more about how we could become a, a contributing part to the Sharonum Center. That's amazing. And and just a few weeks ago, there was a summit held in the U.S., uh, I think in late February, that the Gates Foundation held. And it was both Bill and Melinda Gates speaking. And they talked about how everyday givers, such as the ones that you're speaking about, have in the past and will continue to give actually far more than those who have amassed a significant amount of wealth. And so it it is amazing that just through your conversations with people, middle class Americans were mobilized and energized and inspired to sort of start contributing. Very much so. And to that point, you know, it was everybody from my mother's hairdresser, you know, my mom would go get her haircut and would talk about me, you know, and her hairdresser sent, you know, $50, you know, after almost every visit with my mom. We have one donor, her name is, um, well, I won't say her name, but we have one donor who has a high school education in the U.S. She worked as a document editor in the U.S., She's somebody whose job was constantly at risk due to outsourcing to India. And she's somebody who traveled to India to train people to do her job. And she gives around $15 every quarter and has for the last 10 years. And every time those donations come in, it's like the most fascinating and meaningful thing that people like her are inspired to contribute and to make a difference. And to your point, I think it's really interesting, the everyday donors who find something special to them. And I think that's what we really found was that people wanted to contribute because it was something tangible for them. They knew one that Jen and I were involved and they knew that we really trusted Sharda and Yermal and the Sharanam Center. And they knew that, you know, we, we were there sort of saying, like, this is the real deal. This place is the real deal. Sharda is the real deal. Nirmal's the real deal. Sharanam is the real deal. And that inspired a lot of people to develop these very long-lasting donor relationships. Sharanam has been around for 21 years, I think, uh, or approximately that. And give us a sense of just how many girls have come through the center. What are some of the girls doing now? Most institutions in India that look after children by law and because of their mandate at the age of 18, they tell children to leave. What's similar, I guess, or different to the Sharanam Center, which allows you to also focus, I guess, on how they stand on their two feet and and give us some examples of what you've seen. So almost 80 girls we supported. And um, yeah, so now almost uh, 15, right, Karen? 15 girls, they're independent, totally independent. They're working and they're supporting themselves financially and they're very confident. We are very proud of them. Uh, there are so many people used to come take my interview. What is, what after 18, what will you do? Because that even government and everybody has a mandatory. And that is the most important time where the kids need a support in financially, in moral support, everything, because they step into the world instead of keeping in shelter homes. We send them colleges, but we try to find hostels and uh, during the vacations they come back to us and they stay as a family again because they need that i think karen will be explained much better than me this is <laughs> yeah no no you're doing you're doing a great job but i i do want to ask karen i guess two questions and one karen if you can maybe talk about the types of jobs and and you can name the employers because i think it's quite impressive but what are the type of jobs these 15 girls have and and i guess also 
a little bit more about your own story because you're not moving back and forth. You also quit your job and have been focusing on this full-time for many years. So I think if you can talk a little bit about what led to that decision, how happy your parents were with that decision. But to begin with, I get, let's go back to the 15 girls and like wh where they're at. Sure. So, and of the 15 girls, I think one of the things that's most exciting is that nine of them have university degrees. So nine of them attended and completed their graduation from universities in Mumbai. And so for people who are listening who are from Mumbai, they've gone to SNDT, they've gone to Somaya, and, um, the, and to Nirmala Niketan. And the girls who've graduated from university have studied BSCIT. There's two nurses who did a three-year nursing. It's a, it's a diploma, but it's a three-year nursing diploma. There's two young women who completed their graduations in management, so they did BMS. There's one who did BMM, mass media. And then there's one who completed her studies in banking and insurance. And so what's been really quite compelling to see is that these girls have been able to study the same kinds of things at the same kinds of colleges as their middle class peers. And I think that's what's been most exciting. And Sharda touched on this a little bit earlier, which is that one of the big goals at Sharnam is to treat these kids like our own children, you know, and to shoot for the same level of education, the same level of future as their peers at school. If you're gonna send kids to private school, let's follow that through the whole way to help them reach middle-class lifestyles on the other end. So in terms of where they're working, to kind of follow up on the question, so there's one girl who completed her studies in banking and insurance, and she went to work for Accenture right out of university. She then left Accenture and she's at a company called Sintel, where she's doing fairly high-end net asset value calculations for a U.S. mutual fund. Another student who did her BSCIT, she works at a company called Integrion, which is a, a rather large legal and business outsourcing firm here in Mumbai, where she works on PowerPoints for one of the world's largest consulting firms. Another young woman is a nurse, and she's in the ICU COVID ward at Raheja Hospital here in Mahim. So there's another young woman who didn't complete her university studies, but who did an intensive hospitality training course. She's been a restaurant hostess at restaurants like Indigo, which are quite well-known and well-established here in Mumbai. And by the way, all of these jobs that we've mentioned, these are jobs that they've earned on their own, found on their own and kept on their own. The help from our side included help in building their CVs, some support for learning how to do a job cert, interview prep skills, and these kinds of things, which to me is just the most exciting part, uh, part of all. Completely agree. And, and I know, I guess if you can talk a little bit about why you decided to move to India full-time permanently to focus yeah. on this and, and to share those I think earlier sort of point, I think your focus has been much more on this age group. And so if you can talk a little bit about that, that would be fantastic. Part of the reason why I did was because I could. Um, so I think, I mean. Explain that. Explain. <laughs> what do you mean by I think I could? I think, I think when, I, when I did come to India, I didn't, I didn't know how long I would stay. I didn't come thinking that this was going to turn into... 13 years of being in India. I had kind of left my job uh, from the same organization every three or four years and taken a year or two thinking I would do something else. And then every year or two, they called me back. And so I was on one of those kinds of patterns. I think I was 37 at the time. And I had come to India. This was after seven or eight years of business travel. And India was a place that I liked and I, and I liked Sharanam and I was interested in Sharanam and I'd known them now for a number of years. We had this 501c3. And once I was you know, living in India, in the beginning, I would, I would go to Sharanam twice a week, then three days a week. And I, in the beginning, I was sort of popping in in the afternoon. And then before I knew it, I was kind of there every day. <laughs> And I was kind of there every day and every day um, I became a little bit more attached and a little bit more inspired and was able to see a little bit more of how I might be able to play a role and contribute 
And with every day, Sharda and I together started finding more ways that we could uh, expand the program. You know, she was able to let me in, I think really is, is the way to put it. And I was able to say, oh, here's some ways that I can help. Here's some ways that I can leverage this support that's here and interested from the U.S. without asking for it. I had time, I had money, and Sharda had needs, and we were able to develop a working relationship to kind of put those things together. And before I knew it, it was 13 years later, and our first kids had finished college. I, I think, Dave, I think for me, I think the point is just it, it wasn't planned. I think everything happened very organically, but always with the focus on what do the kids need? What will improve their lives? What will help get them to a level of independence that will make them happy and help the girls be where they want to be? Thank you. And, and Sharda, I guess one of the things that over the years people may have asked you, and I know we've had this conversation, is, is around uh, scale. Sharanam Center is a program within the community outreach program. The community outreach program has been around, I think, now for 40 yes, years, Sharda? Yes. It's a 50, no, 45 years almost. 45 years almost. And they run multiple programs, including the outreach center that I volunteered with, the boys shelter, center for children with special needs, elderly centers. They have multiple things. Help the, I guess, listeners understand how, though, you have scaled with maybe not size, meaning it's not that you, you know, have a hundred people living under the shelter, but how have you enhanced, I guess, your programs? And this is for both you and, and, and Karen. How have you gone deeper, I guess, into the community? Because many times people forget scale is also depth. Scale is also sustainability. Like what what is scale meant to you, I guess? And then Karen, I'm gonna ask you about what does impact mean to you? Because that is also something I know that's been talked about more and more in this sector. Maybe, uh, Karen, you can talk about scale. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm happy to take that. Uh, Dave, I think, I think you really, I think you nailed it. It's that when I first started spending time at Sharanam, and I think for the longest time, Sharanam thought of itself as having capacity for 30 under its roof. And this was before anybody had completed 12th grade. And then when the first young woman graduated and went to college, Pretty quickly, I think we realized, oh, that doesn't mean we can just bring one more in. <laughs> and what we realized was, okay, so the first girl has gone off to nursing college and she's living at college, but we still have bills to pay. She still has needs. She's still going to come home at vacation time. And the next year when another one left, it was sort of the same thing. And the next year, three left. And so while, while the numbers in the house decreased, the total number was still the same. And actually their needs became a little bit greater in those years because now they're on a unique individual path. When they're all in the home, they have the same timings, the same meals, they're at the same schools. Suddenly now we're managing five new institutions, five new vacation schedules, five new unique sets of needs. And so those first couple of years of kids being at university, was a whole different level of, of scale and learning really for us to learn what that looks like. We slowly started adding one more. Three would leave, we'd bring one more into the house as we really worked to figure out what does that balance look like. What we learned through this process was there are a unique set of requirements based on university and a unique set of requirements based on independent living. So I think a lot of our growth happened in these past, probably I think it's about the last seven years, kid by kid, sort of learning what those pieces look like. And that's been huge, huge growth for us as we figured that out. And there's things that we've done around these sets of kids. So for example, for the older girls who are independent, we made a decision early on that we would continue to support their health care. Most of them work in jobs where they're not provided with employer health care. So we've told all of the girls who are independent, they are independent, but they're still going to go every year to the dentist and to the eye doctor, and they can still go to our eyeglasses shop and get their eyeglasses. And we'll phase those things out, but today we still do those kinds of things. And so that's been some of how we've grown and how we've scaled as well and the, the depth that we've looked at, even for these girls who are working and reasonably independent. 
and, and Shara, that you said this as well, you will always be their parents or older siblings. And that doesn't change. And it, it is not sort of at the age of 18, you stop something. So parenting never ends. Also, I think the Sharanam Center, uh, it is not just, for example, there are multiple programs and multiple partners, in fact, that, that even Sharanam has that, for example, may focus on kids of a certain age group that provides additional education. Or I know you work, uh, you know, partner quite a bit with the YMCA and others. And there's nothing wrong with clearly those organizations. In fact, you believe in them and you value their their work. But I guess with a shelter, it is a lifelong commitment and it never ends. Uh, the, The degree of parenting, of course, shifts and changes. But it is something that is for perpetuity to a certain extent. We have uh, Kriti has a question um, uh, for for you. Uh, go ahead, Kriti. Hi, Shraddha and Karen. So, I mean, first of all, I've, I've visited Shalom Center in the past, and everything that you say resonates so much because I've seen the family environment when I was at the Shalom Center. I think one of my questions is about. The transition has got to be hard, right? Out of Sharanam Center, going into the world. What do you think, any anecdotes that you have about girls who have faced a certain kind of challenge? How do they go over coming that transition? Uh, What have been the common challenges that people have faced, in your opinion, and any example of how they've overcome it? Here, they always got a positive environment and a very supportive people. And uh, when they step out, they actually see the uh, change in the world and uh, different kind of people and uh, um, for the beginning they feel a little bit uh, challenging but our girls are very smart and they already know that like uh, most of our girls are very confident because that's the thing we always we tried our best to do but they are quite good in that. I think one of the things if I can add to that too Sharda is that one of the things that I think has been quite remarkable is that most of the girls have not faced challenges related to their backgrounds. So, you know, so as the girls have gone on, for example, to university and they've gone to the hostels, they've brought their hostel roommates from the college hostels back to Sharanam. So rather quickly, the friends who they make in the hostels become friends whom they can confide in about their backgrounds, whom they, with whom they can share what their backstory is. And that's been met with acceptance. There's one little anecdote I'll tell about one girl, you know, who started her junior college. She's been at Sharnam since she was seven or eight years old. And one day towards the very end of her 11th grade, she came home one day and I looked at her and she was just in this amazing mood. And I looked at her and I was like, what, what's going on? You look so happy today. She said, I told my friends today. She's like, you told your friends what? And she said, I told my friends that I live in a hostel. I told my friends that my mom is blind and that she lives in a slum in Malad. And I told my friends everything. And you know what? They couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe that me with my grades and my hair and my clothes and my, and my level uh, and my language skills, she was so proud of herself for having the confidence to share her story and proud of herself for having been accepted by her friends. You know, because I know for me, that's a fear that I've had the whole way along is what happens when girls from shelter home backgrounds and from different backgrounds are out in the world. And what we've seen is for the most part, you know, there, there are absolutely hiccups and there's absolutely challenging experiences. But by and large, for the most part, the girls have been really well accepted by, the, by friends, by colleagues, by roommates. And... And they've felt confident. They haven't, that, that's not their concern. Their concern is, oh, I've lot, you know, I'm alone. Like I don't have the family that I've been with the whole time, just like anybody leaving their family. They're not walking around with this extra baggage on their shoulders. My hope is that the experiences that they have help the girls feel like equals, that they can work at Accenture and at Sintel and that they can succeed at Mumbai University. My hope is that these things keep them focused on making smart decisions. That's what I hope. And I think the fact that the two of you, and of course the 80 girls, and I you know, strongly believe they're the real heroes in all of this, any group that sort of takes help from us, 
and we can only do so little, but really it's them who's taking their lives in their own hands, them that are really, you know, moving things forward. But it is funny that once you give somebody like yourself, Shara, that trust, you focus on the core critical sort of areas of we want these girls to be sustainable, no matter what it takes. And we kind of give you both, I would say, a free hand in how you go about doing so. That is what success looks like in the NGO sector. What, what is even more amazing is, Karen, to your point, the everyday giver who gives $15 a quarter has more trust in you than the billion dollar givers. And, and I think that is the beauty of what the two of you do. That is the crux of the development sector. And, and hopefully from these conversations, those of us who've been like me in this space for 21 years, we realize the fallacies of the sector as well. And we try to go back to the basics because you guys are the basics and you've demonstrated that actually impacts lives many times far more uh, than all of us with our jargon. And, and so with that, I want to thank the two of you for a phenomenal conversation, for everything you do, and for sharing your love story, Sharda. That was really, really fun. <laughs> Thank you so much, Deval, for giving this opportunity to talk. Thank you so much. Sharda, you should do more. You should do more, Sharda. <laughs> yeah, that's what, you know, my English, like when the first time you came to India, you knew, like at that time I was like not even beginner, like. A... You did awesome. You did amazing. You're amazing. <laughs>